Coming up on the Public Radio Hour. I'm famous. <laughs> memorable teachers, opera stars, and Ty Funny, one of Huntsville's stand-up comedians. I got to be myself and get paid for it. Some jobs don't allow you to do that, and I love it. Ars Nova artist-in-residence Ariana Maloney tells us about their two upcoming performances. They involve jealousy, they involve passion, they involve revenge. Do you have a teacher that taught you things you'll never quite forget? Sundial writer Sarah Belanger certainly does. Did you know Beethoven's father beat him regularly? I do, thanks to Mrs. Coleman. According to her, it contributed to his greatness. And we'll also visit with co-founder of Twickenham Fest, Susanna Phillips, as Twickenham Fest prepares for its return to Huntsville. Our weekly mix of special programs and homemade radio features, the Public Radio Hour, is next. Thanks for tuning in. Greetings, I'm Brett Tannehill, your host tonight for the Public Radio Hour, our weekly mix of special programs and homemade radio features produced right here in the studios of 89.3, member-supported Huntsville Public Radio. We have quite the show for you in store tonight. We'll have a conversation with opera superstar Susanna Phillips, who also co-founded Twickenham Fest, which makes its return to Huntsville later this fall. We'll also hear from Ariana Maloney, artist-in-residence with Ars Nova. They have two amazing performances coming up June 11th through the 13th. And we'll hear from the Sundial Writers' Corner as Sarah Belanger makes her first appearance and tells us a rather interesting story about one of her most memorable teachers. But first, let's have some belly laughs, courtesy of Huntsville's burgeoning live stand-up comedy scene. Arch Underground producer Katie Ganaway has been producing a series called Funny You Should Ask, which is introducing us to stand-up comedians around the Rocket City. So let's have some laughs with Katie and Ty Funny. Hey, hey, it's me. It's, it's good to have you here, Ty. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be wanted. I feel amazing. Do you feel amazing, everybody? <laughs> I, I feel... Oh, you didn't ask me. You asked everybody. Are, are you feeling Sorry. amazing? Are you, are I feel you? okay. Yeah, I'm glad to have you here. <laughs> All right. I'm glad to be here. I'm wanted. I feel famous already. <laughs> so we're going to get first things first. Talk about how you got started in comedy. What interested you in pursuing it? 2015, I met a guy in Wisconsin, which that's where I'm originally from. He okay. was like, hey, man, I do comedy. Y'all go come to my comedy show? And I'm like, oh, that's nice. That's cool. And fast forward to that story, in 2017, I moved to Alabama and got here, and they was building a stand-up live. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. They're building a comedy club. One of the guys I work with, he was like, hey, we should start doing stand-up. And I'm like, no, that's stupid. People don't laugh. He's like, you're funny. I'm like, nah, that's not for me. 2018, a lot of weird stuff happened in my life. And then I found myself doing stand-up. I went to Stand Up Live, um, was supposed to be there for Dusty Slay, and it was a free show, just went just to check it out, and believe it or not, um, I saw the first comic go up, and I'm like, hey, I can do that, and then I did. <laughs> so that's how I got here. So that's your first gig story. Mm -hmm. What's your favorite gig story? My favorite? Okay, so mm -hmm. okay, when I first started doing stand-up comedy, it was a guy that came to one of the shows, and that night, I wasn't as funny as I used well, it was just starting, so it was just like learning the, the pace and the the environment, and I was sticking to the script, but we had a guy in there that just literally walked across the stage. He walked right past me and said, hey, you ain't funny. And then um, 
I ripped into him. Yeah, it's a video on YouTube. You can go to YouTube and watch it. It went viral? It didn't go viral. I okay. wish it would. Please go make it go viral. I need views <laughs> on that video. And you, you go out to open mics, too, to sort of hone your, your set. And yes. I want to know how that helps you. Oh, man. Talk about so, that. Being a comedian, just like being anything, if you were a basketball player, you go to the gym and you shoot around. You practice your shot. You practice everything. Same thing with comedians. You go to open mics. Here in Huntsville, Alabama, we have an open mic on Sunday at Madison Station. We have an open mic on Monday at Maggie Myers, and on Tuesday at the Saltina Brewery. And you just go there and you, you practice the stuff you wrote. You work on your crowd work, everything that you want to add to your arsenal. And stay consistent. Don't just go one time out of the week. you got to be consistent if you really want to get good at stand-up comedy. So you and I were talking the other day mm-hmm. on the phone about how you like to read up on stand-up comedy. Yes. And, and can you talk about some of your favorite authors and what you've learned okay. reading that? Judy Carter is, has one of the greatest books. And Two's the Comics, that's one of the books. And then How to Be Funny, that's another book. And then it's another one, I can't think of the name. Mastering Stand-Up, that's another good book. These are like just techniques of writing and also just learning understanding what what you're doing and what what your persona is what are you doing on stage to master and to captivate people and also just certain techniques to write and and how to word and play and all that stuff and then over time being on the road going to all these gigs you just went to indiana yes i did um What's one piece of advice or piece of knowledge that you've picked up from maybe another comedian comedian that you've taken with you? I've been told not to cuss so much. Yeah, that's a good <laughs> one. Me personally, I feel like being honest on stage is the truth and, and a technique that you have to have. You have to be okay with loving yourself to be able to convey that to the audience. Mm-hmm. And even though... Like, for instance, my style of comedy is more like the embarrassing moments, the no moments, the oh no moments. Taking advantage of that opportunity and just turning it like stuff that I used to cry about, taking that and turning that into laughter is like, I feel like I'm getting my power back. If anybody goes out to your shows, you will see that. it's You've grown exponentially over the time I've seen you perform. So, And yeah. I, I, I've had a lot of help on the way, though. Uh, Scott Easton, Matthew Tate. Mm-hmm. Ian Hayes, mm-hmm. uh, Kimberly Wilson with Shenanigans, Jesse Paula. These are all the people that have really looked out for me and gave me opportunities. And everybody else around, uh, Josh, he in the Indiana, and Bubba Q, he helping me out too. It's just a mm-hmm. lot of folks. Raina Cahill, uh, everybody. Carl Paul, it just, I love all you guys. <laughs> they, 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 these guys are growing, and I have to grow as well. And I just appreciate them pushing me and giving me knowledge and information and opportunities. And Let's kind of delve into that a little bit, the booking process. Mm -hmm. At some point, you have to establish your self-worth as a comedian. How do you go about doing that? I started doing stand-up in 2018. Mm -hmm. Within three months, I had a five-minute set. I put in the work, though. I would go to Maggie Myers on Monday, Mm -hmm. and then on Wednesdays, I would go to Copper Top. So it would be Monday, Wednesday, every week. And um, I just wrote and studied, and then I got to a point where I actually had 10 minutes of material, but all they needed was five minutes. And mm-hmm. um, Matthew Tate, he was doing a show. He was like, hey, would you mind being on the show? And I'm like, oh, it's that time. I, I, I guess I did a good job. And uh, it, it gave an opportunity. And then they was like, okay, we'll be here on this date. And basically just get in contact with you. A lot of uh, the open mic, they do shows too that you get paid gigs. And there are opportunities that meet other comedians from other cities and other states. And 
you get to know them and then you just exchange information. If you got a show, see if you can reach out to them and vice versa. Mm-hmm. You just get to know. It's a lovely community down here in Huntsville, Alabama when it comes to comedians. We all look out for each other to our best abilities. My first time mm-hmm. I did a show, I got five bucks and I cried because I was happy. And it's not yeah. like because it was five. It's like because this is my content. I got to be myself and get paid for it. Some jobs don't allow you to do that. And this mm-hmm. is that was one. This is one of those these opportunities and jobs um, that you get to be yourself, and I love it. Mm-hmm. And I would I would tell everybody, go get on stage, man. Just go have fun. Just go be free. I I, I feel as a freedom. People get scared and shaking and all that, but don't be scared. When the pandemic hit, that mm-hmm. kind of dried up some gigs. Well, yeah, right? somewhat. But I could give a shout out to Shenanigans for letting us do online comedy shows it was an online How competition it was very strange you only okay. heard one laugh that was Kimberly Wilson <laughs> but I, I felt like it was funny and then you get to eventually when it gets um, aired or on if it's live you mm-hmm. get to see the laugh out loud on the screen so it's a little bit different it's not it's very you got to get used to it but it, it was I was just having a good time and being myself that's all mm-hmm. you can do so you just had to adjust. You just as gotta it adjust. Mm-hmm. That's it. You gotta take it and run with it. And then it'll give you more time to do like build more content, like to do skits and like um side by sides talking about a, a video or a certain situation and giving your honest opinion or and making it funny too, not just being a booty face. You've already talked about this, but you are pretty much a staple with Shenanigans Comedy yes, Theater. Yes. And another conversation that we had, we talked about how improv is a way that you can build trust with these other comedians. So can you talk about what it means to have that full trust and how you get to build that? Okay. So improv. It's taking nothing or a little bit of something and turning into a big thing. And that's one thing with comedy is we exaggerate everything. Most of us do. Some of us tell it like tell it like it is. But I like to exaggerate just a little bit, just to make make the stakes a little more higher. You know, like mm-hmm. Fast and the Furious. That car was really out of gas, but we don't know that. You know. Yeah. yeah. But we can see it like, oh, he might not make it to the gas station. You know, <laughs> Fast and Furious Seven. You seen that? Okay, never mind. Um, no, I haven't. <laughs> it's a joke. They didn't have a gas problem in that movie. But it's like all oh, their cars got gas. Okay, mm-hmm. so improv mm-hmm. taking something and running with it. It's I gotta give a shout out to Kimberly Wilson and everybody at Shenanigans. I thank you guys so much for opportunities. Um, I got to join them in 2018-19, and they gave me opportunity to you know learn from them and honestly learn how to play. It's like the stuff that little kids do when you use your imagination. You taking whatever the audience may give you or whatever word you just got to turn that into something and you have to really read a person's body language to understand and 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 words as well like certain words isn't just learn how to play with people but learn how to trust your other the first time we did our show i was scared because i'm like i don't know what i, I don't know if i'm gonna be funny or not i don't know what to expect and then mm-hmm. kim literally pulled me to the side and said it's okay to be nervous you just have to learn to trust you trust everybody okay and that, that was one of the things that I had to literally learn how to do is trust everybody around you when you're on stage because they're not going to lead you into a a foul or bad How long did that take? Uh, A day. No. (laughs) (laughs) I wish. It was like maybe probably like a few months. Once I got the the hang of things, Mm -hmm. and mind you, I grew up watching Whose Line Is It It Anyway, and Wayne Brady was one of my favorite characters. Just really energetic. Always had, just always, it was always something new. It was like, Mm -hmm. even though it could have been the same rhythm from a song, it was just like something new. Every time he could play with anybody. We get so comfortable with sticking to the script, I would just say sometimes play a little bit. 
think of some new stuff. Yell out another word that you would switch it up, but just a tad bit and see what you create. And Ty, you said that Wayne Brady is somebody you looked up to yes. growing up uh, in comedy. And I wonder who makes you laugh the most? It could be a comedian or somebody you know personally. Who makes me laugh yeah. the most? Me? Yeah, it's just me. <laughs> just you. Yeah. I just be in my head at work sometimes and just be like, oh, that's funny. And I everybody looks at you like, what? Man, yeah, he's crazy. That's the weird guy we don't want to work around because he smells. <laughs> no, I don't smell. I took a shower today. But, um, <laughs> it's just, I can confirm that. <laughs> I like 85 South Show. I'm mm. a huge fan of Gabriel Iglesias. I want to say, who was it? My, Bernie Mac. R.I.P. Mm-hmm. Uh, Patricia O'Neill, R.I.P. Uh, mm-hmm. Who else can I think of? This is one guy. I forgot his name. I just watched his video. He plays the piano. He does, like, simple stuff that is, like, intricate. He's a master pianist, but he also does, like, this thing where he takes the music and flips it upside down, and he's playing it backwards. And it's just mind-boggling that he can play that and get these laughs at the same time. And I, all the comedians around Huntsville, just to see everybody working, getting better. Do they inspire you They to Oh, be my God, you just don't know. Like, mm-hmm. just watching everybody grow and getting better. And one day, we're going to be a staple to, to not play around with. Because we're going to be like, forget L.A., it's all about Huntsville. Mm-hmm. Or New York, it's all about Huntsville. So, you recently lost your dad. Yes, I did. And... I want to know, as a comedian whose objective is to make everybody else laugh, mm-hmm. how do you how do you get through that and Ooh. and continue to do what you do? I am still working on that, and that's a yeah. really good question. And I'm glad you asked it. I'm an open book. Okay. okay, so my dad, I called my dad on a Tuesday and didn't hear from him. That that next day, Wednesday, he I was called told that he died. I broke down mm-hmm. crying. Mm-hmm. You asked me who was the funniest person that, that made me laugh. It was him. Yeah. Um, how do I? I don't think you ever will get over a death of a loved one. But mm-hmm. I know one thing. I feel like talking about him while I'm on stage in a positive light or negative light. <laughs> um, he gets it. He knows because um, that's what, how he raised us. He wanted us to be go-getters and and to achieve everything we put our minds to. And if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be doing stand-up comedy or playing any instruments. Mm-hmm. So he's like, oh, honestly, all I can tell anybody is just stay on the path. Was he supportive of, supportive Very of your supportive. comedy? Very supportive, yeah. Mm-hmm. He wrote, um, oh, my, you are hilarious. You are stupid. That's my boy. <laughs> and I love that. Like, I missed it. I wish I could yeah. hear it again, but it's okay. He just he was astounded that I, 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 re- I went for it. Well, I think it's it's really cool that you can, you know, turn something so, you know, sad into something positive, something yeah, that you yeah. can take with you for the rest well, of your life. So I'm crying about my dad. I, met, I I was dating a girl at the time, and I had my head in her lap, and I'm just crying and crying and crying. Mm-hmm. Her dog hops in the bed, he looks at me, and he just, like, gives me the sad face. But then he does the, the unthinkable. I'm crying, I'm hurt, my dad dies. He walks across my, my, my face with his, with his, his uh, dog, uh, Bob. He dragged his, his, his stuff over my face with my dad in tears. And I just, I had to write that down. It's a joke. It's funny to me because I laughed, but I'm just saying, I don't know if a lot of people can deal with that. It, I laughed about it because I thought it was funny. Mm. But um, it, was, it was a very sad and intimate moment with a dog's yeah. bottom. 
comedy is a constant grind where you have to just, like you said, take as many gigs as you can get, whether it's paid or not. And when you look toward the future, Mm -hmm. that's what I'm interested in is to know, you know, when you're big and famous, what do you want, what do you want life to look like when you get there? 4,000 wives. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God. I want to have a whole bunch of wives and 40 kids. No, I'm kidding. Um, my dream is to do as many movies as I'm allowed to do. And I want to have at least like one or two sitcoms. Just, mm-hmm. I love sitcoms. They're not the same like they used to be. And that's understandable. They don't last as long like they used to be. Because you, you can get laughter from the internet now. And that's fine. But I want to be able to just do a five-year, you know, mm-hmm. five-year season, you know, five-season show, you know, mm-hmm. super spectacular. And it'd be hilarious. <laughs> and everybody, like, you watched the episode? Like, when I was a kid watching Martin or Will Smith or Family Matter, everybody talked about it at school. I want to have one of them shows where it's like, hey, did you see the episode of Ty Funny? That boy crazy. Why is he running around naked? I don't know. <laughs> I just... I- I just, I just want to, I want to do as many movies as possible, and mm-hmm. I want to write some books. I want to just travel. I, that's what I really love to do is travel, seeing yeah. new people, meeting new people. And Especially now that the pandemic is sort of letting up a little letting bit. Up a little yeah. bit, yeah. yeah. So I have three questions mm-hmm. to end this with. Yes, ma'am. The first one is, do you, Ty Funny, have any hidden talents? I play instruments, um, piano, uh, drums. Before I was Ty Funny, I was drummer boy, and okay. everybody in Wisconsin can, can vouch for that. Drumline came out in 2003 or four, mm-hmm. and I wanted to be Nick Cannon, so I, no. I was in a marching band for a long time. I wasn't the funny kid, and I was funny, but I wasn't the funny kid in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I play piano. Um, I like to sing. I like to dance. Other, uh, I'm really terrible at video games. I, I'm bad. I'm, <laughs> so am I. <laughs> I. I try. My brother is like the Madden champion of all time, mm-hmm. and I'm working on making him pay one day. I don't know. <laughs> somebody, somebody, teach me how to play Madden correctly, because he always beats me. I don't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> but. For my second question, what is your favorite corny joke, like popsicle stick joke? That makes everybody just go really like <laughs> big groan, you know. Ooh, your mama's so fat when she jump in the air she gets stuck. That's a stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny because I didn't got stuck in the air one time. <laughs> Where? <I'm your> mama. <laughs> I like your mama jokes, dad jokes. Yeah. I ain't got none that pop in my head right now. Pop hot. <laughs> Sorry. Um, Let's end with some gigs that are coming up here in the near future all right let's talk about it so you can follow me on instagram at ty underscore funny 0707 and you can get all the information you need or you can type in traveris that is t-r-a-v-e-a-r-e-s-t young on facebook and you'll find me as well or type in ty funny on facebook and you'll find me i'm doing shows everywhere and anywhere and if you want me to come to your house or your bar mitzvah or your baby shower i will be there because i love to do comedy and come out get out the house well ty funny thank you for being here today on arts underground I'm famous. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'm happy. That just made me feel good. Oh, I good. did this stuff on the, on the radio. <laughs> First time on the radio. Yeah. First time on. <laughs>
That made me feel good, too. Thanks, Ty Funny, and thanks to Katie Ganaway. You can be sure to find Ty in the lineup of all sorts of comedy shows around the Rocket City at places like Shenanigans Comedy Theater, Maggie Myers, Stand Up Live, and many others. He appeared in the series Funny You Should Ask, which airs on the Arch Underground, a series where we hear from comedians around the Tennessee Valley and get to know their style, hear their first gig stories, and plenty more. More episodes of that series coming up on the Arts Underground, which airs Saturday afternoons at 2 o'clock. This is the Public Radio Hour here on member-supported 89.3 in Huntsville. I'm Brett Tannehill. Thanks so much for tuning in. Huntsville's stand-up comedy scene is bouncing back, and so are live music performances around the Rocket City as everyone gets back to normal, or the new normal anyway, as we all continue to make our way through the COVID pandemic. Ariana Maloney is the artist-in-residence with Ars Nova, and she recently talked with Morning Blend host Tom Froelich about the group's upcoming performances of La Traviata and El Travatore. Here's their conversation. Yes, so it's at the VBC Playhouse, so it's June 11th, 12th, and 13th, and tickets are sold on Eventbrite and also on the Ars Nova Huntsville website. And so this production is actually a double bill opera, so we're doing two operas in one, and I haven't heard of this being anywhere else, Um, and so this is really going to be a special opportunity. So it's two of Verdi's greatest operas, so it's La Traviata and Il Trovatore, and so they're both sung in Italian. We will have have super titles for that, so translations are available. And a little bit of background on Verdi and these operas. Yes, please. These are the most iconic operas. And so this is the type of opera that you'll come in and you will automatically recognize the pieces. Like, oh, I remember that from from a car commercial. I remember that from a movie. So I like it's that really about beautiful. Verdi. I mean, people <laughs> people know Verdi's music without even knowing that they know it. You yes, know? And exactly. even, even opera goers, they'll say, well, I maybe don't particularly care for Wagner, but I've never heard anyone say, I don't like Verdi. I mean, everybody right. <laughs> likes Verdi, you know? That's true. That's true. Yeah. So um, what times are the performances? Are these evening performances? So there are two evening performances and one matinee. So the 11th and 12th are at 7.30, and the 13th is at 2.30 matinee. Gotcha. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. But you can't be doing two operas in one night. I mean, you, you've got to be doing selections or Right, exactly. Something. So we're calling it their excerpts from the opera. Mm-hmm. And so essentially, it's just condensed versions of each. Are they staged, costumed, all that sort of yes, thing? Yes, full-blown oh, staged good. Oh, costumes. Fun. Yes. Oh, great. We go all out at Ars Nova. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> so if you don't like going to a whole opera, you can go and just hear the best of the best yeah, of the best. Exactly. Exactly. I like that. Oh, good. Count, <laughs> count me in. Count me in. Um, so, tell me a little about the operas. Um, you said you're doing Traviata. Yes. So La Traviata, um, the first opera, that's actually what we're doing. The second is Il Trovatore. So in La Traviata, to give you a condensed version of it. That's always helpful because yes. opera stories can be kind of convoluted. <laughs> yes, it can be difficult to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but for, for both of them, they involve jealousy, they involve passion, they involve revenge. So iconic operas. Yeah, I was so, going to say, sounds like most every opera. <laughs> yes, I love it. I love it. We wouldn't want it any other way. So in La Traviata, um, it involves Violetta and Alfredo. And so they are lovers. And the scene opens with a great party. 
and this very handsome tenor, of course, Alfredo comes to um, comes to Violetta, and she is actually a courtesan, and so he's kind of been seeing her around town and and just oh. has been admiring her for mm-hmm. a long time, and so he's finally kind of worked up the courage to come and talk to her, and she has actually been ill for a long time, and so this is kind of her first coming out party after that after that phase. Sure. And not to spoil the story, but she does die at the end, doesn't she? She does. Surprise. <laughs> yes. Surprise, surprise in opera. <laughs> yes. So it's a beautiful love story. And yes, at the end, she does she does die, but it's in the most beautiful way, hanging, singing a high C at the end. So. I, remember, I remember seeing that and hearing that in, when oh, I'm gone to you? Traviata. Yep, absolutely. Yes. So you've got some music from Traviata to play for us. Tell us about that. Yes, we do. So this is the iconic Brindisi. So this is the drinking song. So I'm sure that a lot of listeners will recognize it mm-hmm. automatically. Good. Well, <laughs> well, here it is, the drinking song from La Traviata.
Well, that was fun. Let's talk about Travatore. What's that all about? Because I have to tell you, that's an opera that I don't know very well. Oh, okay. Well, beautiful. So that's actually the role that I'm singing. So I'm singing Leonora in Il Travatore. Uh And this is just, it's an opera that's very close to my heart because of the the character, not only of Leonora, but the characters in general and what they represent. And so one thing that we are really exploring with both of these operas is is the note of self-sacrifice and how each character deals with that. So for instance, Leonora, she's a very virtuous person, a very devout person, um, but she chooses to sacrifice herself to save Manrico, her lover. And it's just, it has some of the most beautiful music Mm. And it's just, it's so iconic. Oh, I wonderful. love it. Good. Yes. Well, I'm going to look forward to hearing that because, like Thank I said, you. it's an opera that I really don't know very well at all. Yes, I think so. La Traviata is, is uh, more recognized. So what are we going to hear now from La Traviata, or from um, Trovatore? So this is Leonora's aria. It's Tace alla Notte. Mm-hmm. And it's a beautiful aria where she's just professing her love for the troubadour. And uh, it's just a very romantic song. So this is something you're going to be singing then? Yes, I will. Good. We'll look forward to that. (laughs) Thank you.
Well, we'll look forward to hearing you sing that. Tell us again what it is. So that is called Tacea la Notte, and it's sung by Leonora in Il Trovatore. We'll be waiting with eager anticipation, <laughs> as they say. So what else are we going to hear from Trovatore? So I believe this is the Anvil Chorus, and this is also a very recognizable Everybody tune. knows the Anvil Chorus. Yes, Here, exactly. That's one of those, whether you know it or not, you know it. Yes. Yes. So you're going to have a whole chorus there for this? So we're actually, because of social distancing, we actually pre-recorded our chorus in a local church here. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be playing that track back, but they sound beautiful on it. Gotcha, gotcha. What are you going to do as far as accompaniment? Do you have an orchestra? Yes, so we have full orchestra, wow. um, but they're not going to be live. It's also pre-recorded, uh-huh. and we're going to have um, like audio recordings everywhere. Yeah. So, so you're kind of doing karaoke. Yeah, Opera essentially. <laughs> this is the first time that I'll be doing that. So. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be fun. Well, I went to the Ars Nova thing the other night at the Burrett. It was my first time at the Burrett, being relatively new in Huntsville, and I had never really known about Ars Nova until until this. So I was yes. <laughs> was glad to be able to be there and to hear some of what you're doing, and I think this sounds really exciting. Thank you. So uh, tell us again when and where and how to get tickets. Yes, so we are Ars Nova Huntsville, and the productions are La Traviata and Il Trovatore, and it will be in the VBC Playhouse June 11th, 12th, and 13th. Good. And tickets once more at? At Eventbrite, and you can also find them on the Ars Nova Huntsville website. Great. Ariana, thanks so much for coming in. We appreciate having the interview. And Thank you so much. I know everyone's going to be glad to hear about what's going on with Ars Nova. Uh, it's exciting for everyone to come out of the pandemic. Uh, that was one thing that I was aware of the other night at the, um, at the Burrett when you all were doing your, 
your uh, benefit concert because uh, any number of people said, wow, this is the first time I've sung in front of a live audience. Yes, you know? exactly. And it was the first time for me to actually hear something in a live audience. So yes. I think it's just really exciting to have this coming along and a great event for Huntsville. And I think Ars Nova is just a real plus for the Huntsville community. That's what it sounds like to me anyway. Thank you. Yeah, we're, we're really excited to be able to perform again. I know for me, this is my, my first performance coming out of the pandemic. So I think that with that, there comes a sense of of like needing yeah. for the arts and the performers when we've been rehearsing everybody feels that and it just really drives us and adds an entire new level of passion to what we're doing so it's really special and I'm I really think for people who have been cooped up at home for a year it's it's nice to get out and to actually hear something live yes not just, absolutely you know stream it or whatever uh, before we go tell us just a little bit a little bit about you because yes. um, you were mentioned to me that you'd gone to high school here? Yes, so I went to a couple years of high school here. Um, previously, I moved all over for my family's career. We moved every couple years. And so currently, I just graduated from the San Francisco Conservatory of Music. Oh. And so now I'm back here as an artist in residence with Ars Nova. Gotcha. So okay. that's why I'm singing this role, which I'm super excited about. And um, I did my undergrad in Houston at the University of Houston. Yay, D Texas. I'm yes. from Dallas. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love Texas. Thanks to Ariana Maloney, the artist-in-residence with Ars Nova, and Morning Blend host Tom Fullick for that conversation. Ars Nova presenting La Traviata and El Travatore, June 11th and 12th at 7.30 p.m. and June 13th at 2.30 p.m. at the BBC Playhouse. Huntsville is certainly no stranger to amazing live performing arts events and music festivals, and it seems there's something happening every weekend. But there's nothing quite like Twickenham Fest, which just might be the Southeast's premier chamber music festival. Last year, Twickenham Fest, which features a weekend of free live concerts in unique settings around the Rocket City, took a year off due to COVID. But producer Jenny Kennedy sat down with festival co-founder and international opera superstar Susanna Phillips recently. And folks, Twickenham Fest is back September 30th through August 2nd. Let's find out more from Jenny and Susanna. We, strangely, had already planned to do a strategic planning session in April. Mm -hmm. So we... we flipped it to Zoom, and we kept doing the sessions. And so we, we happened to meet for eight hours a day for five days where we really talked a lot about where the fest has come from, who we are now, where we'd like to be in the future. And it was a very interesting timing because we needed to figure out what we wanted to do, if we wanted to do anything last summer, mm -hmm. and moving forward, how we wanted to, what was important for us to do as, as a chamber music festival. And last summer, it just didn't feel like we, we had enough of a sense of what would be safe for everybody. Mm -hmm. So, um, and especially asking musicians to travel at that time in August was, was scary right. for a lot of people. And so we, we decided just to kind of take it off the table. But also we decided not to offer virtual programming because one of the things that we value the most at, at, at Twickenham Fest, the one thing Matt and I value tremendously is, is that the music is made in the room. The music is about the spirit of the people collaborating and with the audience. Mm -hmm. So 
it's um, that's where I think the magic happens at our festival. And so we were really excited to find a good time to have live in-person concerts return. So recently, we've been promoting this here at WLRH. You conducted a survey regarding Twickenham Fest. What did you learn from that, or are you still learning? We learned a lot. First of all, we were thrilled by how many people responded. We had a lot of responses. We went through every one, and we have been very thoughtful about how we're going to proceed this next year. And the overarching uh, sentiment from a lot of people was, that they want the fest to come back, which we're really happy about. Also, that they want it to come back in a safe way, that some people are nervous about whether vaccinations would be happening, and if so, how would we be dealing with that, and if not, how would we be dealing with that? So we are working with a person who specializes in COVID uh, protocols Mm -hmm. and so that we can make our concerts as safe as possible. And I want to emphasize that one of the advantages to our festival is that we're very small Mm -hmm. and we're rather nimble. And one of the things we love the most is doing kind of off the beaten path or or interesting setups for concerts. And so the idea of a socially distant concert is something that we could simply incorporate in the programming and it would feel just like one of our normal (laughs) concerts. (laughs) Yeah, but maybe farther apart, yeah. Right. And uh, so we decided this year to move the festival from the end of August to early autumn because um, we, for several reasons. One, it gives us a couple more months to figure out what we're doing (laughs) as far as um, where the country is uh, with vaccinations and with protocols. And also, it's kinder to the instruments if we are able to do outdoor concerts, which we're hoping to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so in at the end of August, anybody who lives in the Tennessee Valley can attest to the fact that it's awfully hot. Yeah, and humid. And, humid and <laughs> really just sticky. And bugs. And that, and yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's really tough on those really beautiful old instruments. And so on, the, on the old we, audience members like myself. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So we, we thought maybe a more temperate time would be mm-hmm. a, a better option. So we're we're taking a look at we're taking a look at lots of things like the football schedule. Oh yeah, yeah, that's important. <laughs> lots of lots of things. But um, as soon as we have nailed down those dates, we will announce them. But we are planning to do concerts in, um, in the autumn. Well, good. Cause I, I jotted down a few questions. We are chatting on the phone, and here's my question: Will Twickenham Fest be back this year? Yes. Okay. And the next question is: <laughs> What mod- modifications will you make? But I guess that's still a work in process. It is a work in process. I think we are we are being very thoughtful about it. We're having lots of conversations about what um, it looks like. It's very interesting because uh, it matters what's programmed in the concert. Mm-hmm. If you have a singer who's singing, that's a different situation than if you have string players who are all playing with math. Mm-hmm. So um, we're we're figuring it out. Also, for our musicians who will come. They, you know, we're being thoughtful as, as, as to how we pod up or if, for example, if a married couple performs together, they don't have to be socially distant from mm-hmm, each other. Mm-hmm. But if you have four instrumentalists who don't normally play together or spend time together, they may need to be. So that, in, that informs our venue choices and, 
and how we seat the audience. So one thing we're doing also to that end is we're, we're thinking a lot about the experience of the audience member because um, we want to make sure that it's a pleasant one, obviously. And um, one of the things that was in our survey that uh, people responded to, which really helped us, was that they said they didn't want to have any kind of, like, soiree where there's, you know, a bar mm-hmm. or food or something where you're, you're sharing those kinds of things with people you don't know. That's completely understandable, especially these days. So we're looking to partner with um, restaurants and merchants in the Tennessee Valley area to perhaps provide a packed picnic supper. Okay, a box um, lunch. Or box lunch, box supper, yeah. or a box cocktail hour. Uh-huh. In charcuterie situation for um, a picnic uh, uh, experience for the audience. Our concerts will be an hour or less, um, but we will do a, them in a staggered way so that you could go to one concert Friday night and one concert Saturday night, or if you wanted to, you could go to one concert Friday night and a concert an hour later and have a picnic dinner in between mm-hmm. so and you would have you would hear different programs at each of the concerts so that's what we're, we're being thoughtful about how to how to do that and our ever popular Bach by Candlelight concert will certainly take place um, we will need to be more creative about how we do that I imagine it will not be as late at night as it normally is because um, of the um, uh, outdoor venues that we're going to need to work with, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. I've just been in awe of the creativity of the artists here, especially in the Tennessee Valley and nationwide, how they keep going and keep playing the music, and I'm so grateful. I want to know what we here in the Tennessee Valley can do to help you with the Twickenham Fest. <laughs> well, come to all the concerts. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. And, uh, we're looking forward to, to, to bringing these incredible musicians to that wonderful community, and I, I, I really look forward to coming back. Um, I grew up in Huntsville, and I spent my formative years there, and I come back frequently. Uh, I have, my family is still there, and my children love to come visit their grandparents, and um, and I, I speak a lot around in, in my in my world about how wonderful and thoughtful the community is, and I look forward to bringing the musicians every year to come and experience uh, what it's like there. And um, I really look forward to, to seeing all, all the people who I, we know have got, come to know over the years as really the family of Twickenham Fest. And Matt and I look forward to, to spending time with everyone again. That was Jenny Kennedy talking with Susanna Phillips, international opera singer and co-founder of Twickenham Fest, which returns to Huntsville September 30th through October 2nd. This is the Public Radio Hour, and most of us probably have at least one teacher who had a profound impact on our lives for better or for worse. On that note, let's end the show with a story from the Sundial Writer's Corner. You're tuned to 89.3 Huntsville Public Radio, and this is the Sundial Writer's Corner. Welcome. I'm Dory Nutt, one of the producers of this segment, along with Brett Tannehill. This week, new Sundial contributor Sarah Belanger reflects on lessons she learned from her most memorable teacher, the eccentric Mrs. Coleman. (laughs) 
I was eight years old when my family moved from the suburbs of Connecticut to rural Maine. That year, there were many changes. New house, new friends, new baby brother, and because I moved midway through the school year, a new second grade teacher. My previous teacher had been a stickler for rules, insisting on good etiquette at all times. When answering questions, she demanded we stand up without fidgeting and speak in a loud, clear voice. And when asking for permission, say, may I, rather than can I. But my new teacher, Mrs. Coleman, was different. She had a loose concept of rules for us and herself. She wore bedroom slippers to class and let the students brush her hair during story time. I don't remember learning geography or science or math from Mrs. Coleman. She did teach me how to spell Hawaii. H-I-H-A. H-I? I guess she didn't teach me that either. But she was a great storyteller, chock full of interesting yet horrible anecdotes, which she sprinkled throughout her lessons. Did you know Beethoven's father beat him regularly? I do, thanks to Mrs. Coleman. According to her, it contributed to his greatness. After telling us this, she gave her class a wistful look and shook her head at our wasted potential, frittered away by soft liberal parenting. One day she mentioned her first husband. First husband? It's always surprising to find out your teachers have lives outside of the classroom. We asked what happened to him. She shrugged. He disappeared in Egypt. Surprised, we peppered her with more questions. Why was he in Egypt? What happened to him? Is he dead? She sighed, bored to tell such a trivial story, but finally explained. He was exploring a pyramid and got lost inside. I never saw him again. Even as an adult, I wondered what the hell happened to him. Being older and wiser, I suspect pyramid is a euphemism for mistress and lost for divorce, but I honestly don't know. As much as I loved Mrs. Coleman and her shocking stories, even I will admit sometimes she went too far. It was the day after NBC's annual airing of The Wizard of Oz. The entire class was excited to have seen it. We talked about how fun it would be to ride in a tornado or if flying monkeys would make good pets. Doubtful on both counts. Mrs. Coleman didn't say much, but when we got to Dorothy and her ruby slippers, she chimed in. Did you know Dorothy died of a drug overdose? A hush fell over the class. Of course, we were familiar with drugs. Nancy Reagan's D.A.R.E. program had made sure of that. But the idea that Dorothy, in her gingham dress and pigtails, died in a back alley with a syringe sticking out of her arm was appalling. Mrs. Coleman must be wrong. And I wasn't the only one who thought so. Dorothy isn't dead, argued my classmate. Staring down at the distressed child, Mrs. Coleman realized her mistake. Oh, no, dear. The actress who played Dorothy, Judy Garland, she died of a drug overdose. Pills. Such a shame. And then, recognizing a good teaching moment, Mrs. Coleman added, and that's why you shouldn't do drugs class. The students were slow to process this information, but once we did, little arms shot up around the room. Is the scarecrow still alive? Dead. Cancer. The lion, too. Auntie M killed herself. Quite tragic. Dear Lord, this was turning into a bloodbath. Most of us were scared to ask any more questions, but one brave student raised his hand and asked, What about Toto? Mrs. Coleman shook her head and laughed. Of course Toto's dead. Dogs don't live that long. 
There was a shocked silence as 23 second graders realized their childhoods were over. I thought of my own dog, Barney. I'd assumed he'd live forever, but now that she mentioned it, he wasn't as spry as he used to be. At recess, we huddled in circles discussing death, drugs, and what really happened to Mrs. Coleman's husband. Months later, we were assigned to write a story. I wrote about two grasshoppers having an adventure in a hot air balloon. I thought it was good, but I wasn't sure. After Mrs. Coleman read it, she handed it back to me and said, This is good. You have a knack for writing. Stick with it. And I believed her, because anyone honest enough to tell a bunch of children that Dorothy Gale died of a drug overdose isn't going to lie to spare someone's feelings. Sarah Belanger in the Sundial Writer's Corner. Sarah's an author and photographer and working on her first novel. She also co-authored the history book North Alabama Beer. Thanks so much for joining us for the Public Radio Hour. You can hear a podcast of this show at WLRH.org. Look under Programs for the Public Radio Hour or listen on the WLRH mobile app. We'll see you next time.